You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Something I constantly see posted on the internet and repeated by Christians uh, is the saying that the safest place in the world is in the will of God. Now, I promise not to judge you uh, if you have ever said that or posted it on Facebook, Uh, but if anyone has ever told you that, then I am here to tell you uh, that you have been lied to because being in the will of God can be one of the most dangerous places there is. Uh, It's the right place to be. It's where you should seek to be, but it's not always safe, at least not from an earthly, temporal perspective. No one knew this better than the Old Testament prophets were reminded of that in that famous Faith Hall of Fame chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, where we hear about the fate of so many of those prophets and what they faced Because of their faith. Hebrews 11 verses 37 through 38 says that they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and and caves of the earth. This morning, uh, we're going to study the fate of John the Baptist, and we'll see his life mirror that of these prophets, his predecessors. And this is going to teach you and I a very critical lesson that is so often undertaught in the church today. The idea that fear is dangerous, but even faith will not keep you safe. Having fear and a lack of faith can be even more dangerous, but even having faith will not keep you safe. This is a mantra that you and I should repeat over and over again to ourselves. Having faith will not keep you safe. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you will win every battle. Sometimes the good guys will lose, at least for a time. So let me read our text, and then let's see this reality as it plays out in the lives of King Herod and John the Baptist. And as we work through this story, there are two underlining principles that you need to take hold of in light of that main idea. The first is that fearing everything but the Lord should be your greatest fear of all. And the second is that having faith in the Lord means that you should fear nothing else. So Mark chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 14. says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. 
And others said, he is a prophet like the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So I said the main idea of this passage is that fear is dangerous, but even having faith will not keep you safe. Let's talk about the first part of that idea, the dangers of fear, particularly when you fear everything but the Lord, because fearing everything but the Lord should be your greatest fear of all. You see this in the life of King Herod. He was a man motivated by fear. He feared everything and everyone except the Lord. He, we left off last week uh, with Jesus preaching in his hometown and the disciples preaching in the surrounding villages, being able to cast out even the demons. And word of everything going on has finally spread to the highest ruler of this region, to King Herod himself. Now, who was King Herod. Uh, if you remember the birth narrative of Jesus, you may remember Herod the Great. Uh, he was a wicked king who had all the newborn babies in Bethlehem killed in order to try and kill Jesus. Well, this King Herod in Mark chapter 6 is his son, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas was not as great of a king as Herod the Great, but he was just as wicked. Mark calls him a king in this passage, which is how the Jews in this day would have referred to anyone who was ruling over them. 
But by the Roman definition, Herod wasn't technically a king. After his father passed away, Herod Antipas petitioned Caesar Augustus uh, to become king in his father's place, uh, but he was not permitted to do so. Instead, the land that his father uh, ruled over was broken up into four regions, and Herod Antipas became what was known as a tetrarch, which meant that he was one of four co-equal rulers over his father's former land. So he's not really so much a king as he is sort of a wannabe king. And verse 14 says that the word of Jesus has finally spread and reached to Herod. Now, nobody really has a category yet for this carpenter-turned-celebrity. Nobody really knows what to think of Jesus. Some think that he's Elijah. Some think he's like another prophet of old. But Herod believes Jesus to be John the Baptist, who he had beheaded, come back to life. This is very worrisome to Herod because in verse 20, it says that Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. Herod was afraid of John because John had publicly spoken out against his marriage to Herodias. Verses 17 and 18 say that Herod had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod was not a popular ruler among the Jews. And the reason was because of this convoluted relationship between him and his wife. And when I say convoluted, that is an understatement. Herod was the half-brother of a, of a man named Philip, and Herod had an affair with his brother's wife, Herodias. So both Herod and Herodias left their spouses that they had been cheating on, in order to marry one another. And this violated Jewish law in at least two ways. First, Leviticus 20.21 made it forbidden to marry the wife of a brother unless he had already passed away childless. But also, Leviticus 18.6 made it forbidden to marry anyone who was of your near kin. Now, Herodias wasn't just Herod's half-brother's wife. She was also his niece. She was the daughter of another one of his brothers named Aristobulus. And if this is complicated for you to kind of keep track of in your head... Uh, I don't blame you. I am right there with you. I have been wrestling all week to try to untangle this very twisted family line. But, but the bottom line is that Herod's marriage, though Herod actually wasn't a Jew himself, it was very unpopular among the majority of the people that he ruled who were Jews. 
This was a scandalous marriage. So Herod was afraid of John because he publicly spoke out against him and made him unpopular among the people. And Herod was afraid of the people for fear of any kind of uprising that could threaten his power and authority. And as the rest of this strange story unfolds, you'll see that everything else Herod does is also motivated by fear. The rest of the story comes in the form of a flashback taking place on Herod's birthday. Verse 21 says that he gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And no doubt this banquet was filled with all kinds of drunken debauchery. And at its height, Herod's own stepdaughter is even invited to this banquet in order to dance for Herod and his guests and to please them. Just, just to be clear, we're not talking ballroom dancing or square dancing. She came in, this, this, this is a teenage girl being invited into this room full of old men to dance in a highly sexually provocative manner. But the king, her stepfather, and his guests like the performance so much so that Herod says to his own stepdaughter, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. Notice the similarity between King Herod and King Xerxes in the Old Testament in the story of Esther. If you remember Esther, she went in one night to the chamber of the king, and the king loved her so much that he said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. But the difference is that Esther approached the king in order to save the Jewish people, but Herod's stepdaughter will have one of them killed. Verse 24 says that she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. So the daughter returns to Herod, not only asking for John's head, but asking for it on a platter. And then pay very, very close attention to these next few verses in the story. How does King Herod, who feared John the Baptist and who feared the people and their unpopular opinion of him, how does he respond? Verse 26, it says, The king was exceedingly sorry but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. He responds in fear. He was afraid of breaking this vow that he had made to all of his peers. He says, sorry, I don't really want to have to chop off John's head, 
but I mean, I made this promise, so I guess I'll have to do it anyway. Herod doesn't do anything in this story that isn't in some way, shape, or form motivated by fear, even to the point of having John the Baptist beheaded. So fearing everything but the Lord should be your greatest fear of all because there are many dangerous outcomes to this kind of life. The first is that in a life that does not fear the Lord, depravity knows no depths. The details of this story are absolutely scandalous. If it wasn't for the fact that this text was in the word of God, I would be embarrassed and ashamed to even speak about some of Herod's actions. I mean, he married his own niece and views his stepdaughter as nothing more than a piece of sexualized eye candy. But a life or society that has no fear of the Lord has no limits to the depths of its depravity. Our capacity to sin exceeds even our capabilities to comprehend the depths to which we can sin. We we live in a weak and broken world filled with corrupt politicians on both sides of the aisle There is rampant immorality that is regularly glorified on television. We are experiencing an outright genocide of abortion with millions of innocent children being killed. And surely, as you you look at our world today, you would say, surely we have hit rock bottom. Surely... We have seen the the limit to how low we and our society can go. That if you are only worried about your own status and reputation, and you're only motivated in life by peer pressure, and you fear everything and everyone but the Lord, then you are falling down an elevator shaft that has no bottom. There is no end to the depths that you can go. And the only reason you or our society hasn't fallen faster, further, is solely because of the Lord's gracious restraint. So that's the first outcome. In a life that doesn't fear the Lord, depravity will know no depths. But there's also a second. In a life that does not fear the Lord unbelief will make you unable to see your savior. As sad as this story about King Herod is, it doesn't end in Mark chapter 6. It continues all the way to Jesus's own trial and crucifixion. Luke chapter 23, after Jesus is put on trial and is questioned by Pontius Pilate, Pilate asks whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. 
So he questioned him at length, but he gave no answer. The chief priests and scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. This wannabe king of Galilee finally got an audience with the king of the universe. And since the beheading of John the Baptist, he had longed to see if Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. And as he waited for Jesus to enter into his court, Herod wondered if a resurrection had taken place, if John the Baptist had come back to life. But when he saw that Jesus was not John, he treated him with contempt, contempt, and he mocked him, not even realizing that one much greater than John stood before him in his midst. Not even being able to fathom the greater resurrection that was about to take place. If you fail to fear the Lord, your unbelief will make you unable to see your Savior. His word can be opened in front of you right before your eyes. His spirit may be calling your name, trying to draw you to his throne. But if you fear everyone and everything but the Lord, you will be unable to see him, though he stands in your very Midst And missing out on the Messiah should be your greatest fear of all. So we, we've seen the first principle of this story, that fearing everything but the Lord uh, should be your greatest fear of all. But there's a second principle to learn, and that's having faith in the Lord means that you should fear nothing else. Now, I already said the main idea of this passage is that having faith is no guarantee to keep you safe. And that's true. But even though faith will not always keep you safe, having faith should be cause for you to fear nothing but the Lord himself. If you fear the Lord, you have no reason to fear anything else. This is something that John the Baptist could personally attest to. Herod's life was one of constant fear without faith, but John's life was one of faith without fear. He he didn't find himself on the executioner's block simply because of the drunken whims of Herod on his birthday. He found himself there because of a lifelong commitment to fearless Faith, a commitment to testify to the truth of Jesus, regardless of whether you're a commoner or a king. Even before John was born, he was a faithful witness to the coming Messiah. Luke chapter 1 says that when Mary went to stay with Elizabeth while they were both pregnant, Elizabeth looked to Mary, and in verse 44, it says that, Behold, she said, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
So even before John was born, he leaped for joy. He, he was doing somersaults inside of Elizabeth because he had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he knew that the occupant of the womb next door was none other than God himself. And even later, when he was living in the wilderness, John wasn't afraid to call out the Pharisees, denouncing them as a generation of vipers. He warned that the Lord had already readied his axe to cut them off at the root. So long before he faced his own execution, he was warning others about a far more serious execution they would face with the coming judgment of God. The, the reason Herod could even behead John at this banquet was because he had already been in prison for quite some time for having faithfully denounced the moral depravity of Herod's marriage. So John's life and death were a testament to the reality that if you have faith in the Lord, you should have fear and nothing else. But there are warnings here attached to this kind of fearless faith that you ought to be aware of before committing to follow in the footsteps of one like John. First, you should remember that you can have faith and still feel at times like you have failed. The two are not mutually exclusive. Verse 29 says that John's disciples, after they heard of his death, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. I wonder what was on the minds of his disciples as they buried this prophet. wonder what they thought about his death and if this death also meant defeat. That the ministry and the movement that John began had now somehow ended in failure. Because there will still be a couple more years of waiting before John's disciples will be able to see the fulfillment that his ministry was meant to foreshadow with the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. I also wonder what was on the minds of Jesus's own disciples when he was likewise laid in a tomb at the end of his ministry. As you read these stories, you and I have the luxury of already knowing the end. We have the comfort of turning the pages and running to the resurrection on Sunday, but Jesus's disciples had to wait to see it all play out. John's disciples had to wait to see it all play out before the victory and success that came with Jesus's resurrection on Sunday. They had to endure what I'm sure felt like a failure with Jesus's death on Friday. And there may be many seasons of your own life that feel much more like a Friday than they do a Sunday, where you feel like you are being faithful, but all around you, all you see is failure. What happens when you stand up for the truth in school 
or at work, but you're the one that gets to be made the fool. When you're faithful to proclaim the gospel, but you're the one that gets fired as a result. In a world where the plan of God is still progressively unfolding, there will be times where you feel like you have been both faithful and a failure. Where where you know that you're on the side of the good guys, but you feel as though you have lost. But remember, the story is not over yet. There are still pages left to be written. You may feel like today is Friday, but remember that Sunday will come soon enough. So, So losing a battle doesn't mean you're going to lose the war. Seeing a setback doesn't mean you should surrender. Feeling like a failure doesn't mean you should give up faith. That's the first lesson to learn from John's story. But there's also another. It's the reminder that faith can be fatal, but it's not as fatal as the alternative. You may look at John's story and wonder if it's a life worth living. He spent his life as a social outcast. He wore camel's hair. He survived by eating locusts. Then he was imprisoned and then beheaded. Not a particularly envious life. May even seem like both a peculiar and a perilous life. But though a faithful life to Christ may be fatal, you must understand that the alternative is certainly fatal. Having faith in Christ will not keep you safe, but a lack of faith is significantly less safe. There's a well-known pastor, John Piper. He preached a now famous sermon comparing the lives of two elderly missionaries from his church to the lives of a retired couple that he read about in a Reader's Digest article. And he asked the question as to which set of lives was the more tragic story. These two missionaries in their 80s had recently died in a car accident outside a village in Cameroon. And this married couple in their 50s had finally saved up enough money in order to retire early to move to Florida so they could buy a boat and spend their retirement collecting seashells. And Piper argued that the second story was far, far more tragic than the first. And I would add to that that it's far more dangerous as well. The missionaries on the mission field, when they died, they were immediately transported into the arms of Christ. And from the final chapter of their lives, they had a harvest of souls to show their master as the fruit of their labors. This retired couple will only have a collection of seashells. A life that is faithful to Christ may be physically fatal, but it holds the possibility of being eternally fruitful. The alternative may be a life that is safe now for the moment, 
but holds the possibility of being eternally fatal for your soul. You may gain some earthly comfort and some seashells in the short term, but at the expense of where you will stay for all eternity. Fate can be fatal, but it's not as fatal as the alternative. So if you've ever heard someone say to you that the safest place in the world is in the will of God, know that that statement couldn't be further from the truth. Fear can be dangerous, but even faith will not keep you safe. So fearing everything but the Lord should be your greatest fear of all. And having faith in the Lord means you should fear nothing else. Let me pray. Father, we have heard your truth declared. Now may it sink in deep below our skin into the depths of our heart. May we be as faithful in our lives uh, and even to the end of our lives as John the Baptist. And even when we feel like we are failing, may we continue to persevere in the faith. Even at times when we feel like the good guys are losing, may we look to the cross of Christ and refuse to give up hope. We ask this in Christ's name.